Saturday morning, and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host. Another Saturday morning, God, the 11th of October. Boom. Halfway through, basically, in a nutshell. Columbus Day weekend. Last weekend, Kennebunk is open. 40% off everything. God, I just sounded like that commercial. What commercial is that? That that, uh, furniture store. Everything must go. (laughs) Last weekend, been an amazing season in Kennebunk this year. Uh, I have to thank all of our wonderful customers for supporting us as usual. Um, Continued growth exponentially, uh, better product offering, expanded store hours. You know, we've done a lot down there, and uh, we've just been working with the town. We're going to be adding a few more parking spaces. Uh, we just met with them. And so there's some changes that are going to happen a little bit after the the uh, you know close of the store, uh, looking at some more improvements uh, you know, as we continue to grow there. But uh, overall, just an amazing season. I, I, I just it just amazes me the support we get. And year after year, we continue to grow and continue to have more customers. And I hope we're living up to all of your expectations. I feel like we are, but I always want to know the positives and the negatives. And so, you know, don't ever hesitate to contact us either way. You know, that's why we're here. If we don't know the positives and negatives, we can't reward people when they do a great job and also fix and correct all of those things. So, you know, we're not perfect We're a good company. We try to do the best for everyone that we service, but we're always here to listen. And so, you know, with Kennebunk coming to a close another year, 40% off, clearancing out the store, all that product that we don't sell will come back to Yarmouth. So, you know, even if you're from the Yarmouth market, it's going to be a decent weekend. You know, take a drive. Maybe go down to the port, have some lunch, hit the store, see if there's any deals, you know. Maybe you can make out a little bit. So anyways, enough about that. Another season, fall is peaking, okay? Out there, you know, I was amazed coming into the radio station how many leaves are on the ground now. You know, it's amazing. You get that that weather kind of middle of the week and, and, uh, you know, you get a nice windy day and, and some rain and boom, it's over. You know, the cast of winter is starting to arrive you know those trees with no leaves on them now what i will say is there's still some beautiful colors out there you know there's still some beautiful fall foliage there's still some plants in my yard that are still coming on and looking great you know my nissa sylvatica that plant that i thought was dead in the spring now has fully leafed out it's beautiful it isn't showing its fall color yet okay the stewardia i just planted Again, not showing its fall color yet. So I've got some hidden gems here that in the next couple weeks are going to be stunning. Okay, so, but that kind of topic is, you know, I bring it up time and time again. Now's the time. What are those things in your yard that are going to give you late fall and winter? Again, looking at the things that you have to do, you know, it's time to kind of think about planting bulbs. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about that this week. You know, cleaning up those gardens. You know, I looked at my gardens this week and I said, you know, I could get out and do one last really good weeding and really take a lot of problems away for spring. 
You know, all those seeds that are sitting on the weeds, yeah, they're going to be there in the spring, but I can take all those perennial weeds and pull them now. Now, the annual things like crabgrass and some of the other annual weeds will all die, but they've left all their seeds for spring. So thinking about, you know, maybe some weeding and some mulching in the fall, just save time in the spring. I look at this late fall time frame of what can I do to minimize what I have to do in the spring, okay? It's not wasted time because I love this time of year. It's cool. It's nice to work outside when it's 60 degrees, sunny, it's warm, but I don't feel like I'm dying of heat. So I can get out there and maybe I can edge a bed. I could remulch a bed. I could clean up, you know, an area. Maybe I've got a bunch of scrub brush I want to cut down. Clean it out for spring. Get it ready for maybe, you know, killing off the the stumps or whatnot. We'll also talk about how to get rid of a living stump today, okay? Uh, So, you know, I start looking at all of the things that I want to do to get ahead for next year. And included in that is pruning. Okay, so in my yard, some of the things I've already identified I'm going to prune, I've got some Annabelle hydrangea. They've taken it a little hard this summer. We had a lot of rain. Things kind of got beat up. There's a little fungal problems on them. So I'm going to actually prune those back about halfway. Okay, now I could prune those right to the ground if I want to. I also have some spirea, okay, that are kind of getting overgrown. I'm going to attack them pretty aggressively also. Uh, I've got a quick fire hydrangea I'm going to prune probably late winter, uh, but I might get a little aggressive with it, uh, you know, in this fall too. Other plants that, you know, I've I've started to to kind of clean up all my perennials. I'm starting to cut all of those back, clean them up. I'm done. I'm, I, you know, it's over for me. Uh, The only plant I'm not pruning back that I do have is perennial hibiscus. I really like to leave those up for the winter. So we'll also talk a little bit about, you know, the vegetable garden and all of that kind of coming up throughout the show. So, but what do you do with all of those leaves? So, you know, one question a customer had this week for me was, you know, what do I do with all of these? You know, every single year I have this huge pile and I'm not sure what to do. And, you know, should I take them to the transfer station where they compost them? You know, what should I do? I don't really compost them in my yard. So, you know, that's a big topic for customers in general in their yards. What do I do with all this waste? So here's kind of a general thing of how I handle them. Number one, I have a situation where I can have a leafy compost area that I don't turn, I don't do much anything to, I can bring the grass clippings, I can bring the leaves, all of that, dump it in a pile, it just naturally decomposes over time, and you know, with the tractor I can turn it a little bit if I want now, but that's a new addition, so I have a little more capabilities. But what I would say is, first off, what do you have for composting facilities at your house? Do you have one of those tumblers? Do you have a three-pile system? Do you have just one pile where you kind of throw things out in the backwoods? What is your situation? So let's first identify that. If you have a tumbler, you know, which is a compost bin that you can turn every time you add something to it, if you have just a pile, my question to you is, what are the benefits of putting all of that in there? 
Now, if you have a tumbler, my suggestion is, or a small compost facility in your yard, my suggestion is you don't add every single leaf that you have in your garden. You don't add every bit of organic matter out of the vegetable garden. You know, what I do in that case is I use that to compost my food waste and some of the things I want to enrich my garden with. Now, can you take a portion of that and put it in? Yes. But we don't want so much leafy material that we don't get good composition in our compost. So there's, you know, it's a catch-22, I guess is what I'm I'm saying. I would recommend you take maybe 75% of the leaves and turn them into a compost facility. Why not? They're doing it. It's not like you're wasting it. And, you know, it gives back to the community. So look at it from a perspective of can I take all of that organic matter and physically turn it into compost? Now, one thing you can do is you can mulch it up with your lawnmower and bag it. Okay, and then add it to the compost. What will that do? It makes it so much more dense, and you get more microbes going quicker. And you know, add some of that compost starter, and you will create compost much quicker by doing that because you're breaking down the leaf structure and you're really adding those microbes and making them really do their thing much quicker. You know, anytime we take moisture out of compost, a lot of times you get quite a bit more microbe action quicker, okay? So that's one way you can add more organic matter into your compost pile. If you don't want anything to do with composting, then obviously look for a a facility you can take it where they are composting. You know, maybe it's your local transfer station. Maybe you may have a situation where a neighbor has a compost pile and they want them. I don't know. But look for those opportunities There's nothing worse than I see is leaves going into plastic bags. And you see them everywhere. You know, I don't care if it's a biodegradable plastic bag. There's no real such thing, okay? Now, those brown paper bags, those work because they're paper. They'll break down. They go into the piles. They just get churned up completely fine. So a lot of topics around compost as we get to this time of year. My question is... Is it worth your time and energy? That's the first decision you need to make when composting. Are you going to do it effectively? If you can't answer those with a resounding yes, then go ahead and get them off your property and come on in and buy some compost when you need it. And you've got the best of both worlds. Okay? So enough about compost because it's that time of year. But it is time to start thinking about preparing for winter. Yeah. You know, mid-October is that time of year when I like to do a lot of my winter prep. Now, I won't finalize things, but by November 1st, it's getting cold, folks. So, are the leaves down off of your trees? If they are, you've got the time to clean your gutters. There's nothing worse than an ice dam in the middle of winter because you didn't clean your gutters. Okay? So, think about that. But the first question is, are the leaves down? does no good to clean your gutters if the leaves aren't down, okay? Now, if you haven't cleaned them in a couple years, maybe you do a couple cleanings because you may have a lot of stuff up there. And I always find when it's warm, you can use the hose, you can get up there, you're not freezing to death. So, you know, at my, I have a rental property that I do that. 
I will actually go in and I will clean out the gutters probably twice. I'll go out and I'll clean them now. And then once I get into November and all the leaves are down because I have a big old Norway maple there that holds on forever, I'll just do a quick sweep through of those leaves at the end. But I got all the, you know, dirt and grime and junk and, you know, stuff that comes off the roof and all that sediment that's in those gutters. And I'm able to kind of just get the mass of cleaning out of the way. And I've made the mistake of doing it late. And let's face it, the, the hose is frozen. You're freezing to death up there on a ladder. You know, it's just all of those things. So how can you prepare that? The other thing is winterizing equipment. So I'm getting to do some of my last mowings you know, on my lawn and string trimming and all of that. So now I'm adding additives to my gasoline. Okay, so I'm adding stabilizers to my gas now so that that last bit of gas that I put in and that last time I fill it up, it's all got stabilizer in it. Okay, so when I go, you know, to the to the gas station and I fill up those tanks for the last time here in the next week or two, I'm going to go ahead and put gas stabilizer in it. And why why do you do that? Well, with ethanol and the water in gas nowadays, it separates. So if you think about your gas tanks sitting all winter, number one, try not to have much extra gas laying around. If you do, put stabilizer in it. Now, I always keep probably about 10 gallons of gas on hand at my house because I have a generator. And I always put stabilizer in it pretty much regularly anyways throughout the summer. But a lot of people don't. And so, you know, now's the time to think about doing that. Okay? The other thing is this time of year, it's time to every time you use your garden hose, drain your garden hose. I won't say drain my garden hose. What does that mean? Turn it off? No. You take it and you actually drain all the water out of it every time you use it. You say, why, why, why am I doing that? That sounds like a real pain. Well, there's nothing worse than a frozen garden hose when you need to go wash the car or use it, okay? You got to take it off. You got to bring it in the basement or you got to thaw it out or go to the store and buy a new one. So start thinking about draining those hoses. It's not, you know, it's still too early to shut the water off outside, specifically if you have new plants, you still need to continue to water them for a couple, three weeks. So by draining those hoses, you can do all of your watering on one day. We're getting to one day a week watering now, folks. Okay, it's cool enough. We've gotten some good rain. One day a week, it's, you know, the, the plants are dropping their leaves. One day a week, you're sustaining the, the, the root mass and really making sure it's healthy. Okay, so... Draining it after that one day that you water or wash the car or do, you know, try to do everything with the hose on one day. You know, make sense? And then you won't have that awful situation that I always seem to run into of that one day you want to use it, it's cold out and the, you know, the hose is frozen. It always happens. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me this, this fall. But I just thought I should bring that up. And mouse magic. Okay, we're going to talk more about mouse magic after the break. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. 
For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non-hazardous, organic, and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof.com. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts, stoprex.org. The brisk air, colorful foliage, and shorter days can only mean one thing. Autumn is here. Celebrate by decorating your home with a kaleidoscope of fall color from Estabrooks. Mix and match the texture of cabbage and kale, the beauty of fall garden mums, and the rustic charm of pumpkins and corn stalks to warm your home as the temperature cools. Winter will be here soon, so make this a fall to hold on to. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're talking mouse magic. You know, we've had some questions come in from the website and people coming in and asking. We've been talking a lot about mouse magic over the last year or so, really. Um, You know, great product, but I've got a couple questions, and one is from Jim from Cape Elizabeth. And his question is, what is the danger of using products such as mouse magic except to wildlife and pets. I've always assumed that raptors, coyotes, cats, small dogs may be harmed if they ingest mouse that have eaten some sort of poison. Thanks for taking the question. So, Jim, great question. You know, there's always a concern when using using a poison. Okay? So, first off, mouse magic is not a poison. It's peppermint oil. You can replicate that by using peppermint oil the difference is you don't have the pad that releases it. So that's why I like Mouse Magic is that it releases it on a time frame. Secondly, Mouse Magic is a repellent. It doesn't do any killing. It just moves the mice out of your home, out of your camper, out of your camp, your snowmobile trailer, whatever it might be, where your 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 shed If you have a mouse problem, the best way is to start early and move them out of the house. 
once you have them in your environment, that's where we start to run into problems, okay? Because there's no place for them to go. You can put as much repellent as you want in there, but all you're going to do is either push them up into the walls, into the attic. There's no place outdoors for them to go. It's not warm enough anymore. So that's why mouse magic we use earlier in the season. And then it keeps the mice at bay and out of the house, out of the environment that you want to keep them out of. And then you don't have as many problems. Now, if you're using some of the traps or baits or whatnot, a lot of things have changed with those over the past few years. They've gotten a little bit safer. The mode of action in which you can put them in your home, it's not that cardboard tray with open rip, you know, uh, uh, pellets in it anymore. They have to be contained. There's new laws that have been in place. Now, let's talk a little bit about the animal factor. Because there's a hazard anytime you use a poison to kill mice, rats, other unwanted animals. You always have to be cautious, okay? Now, here's the thing. When you use something like this, you need to use it in a safe manner. Always you read the label. Always use it in a way to protect the animals you might have. So if you have dogs and cats in the house, you need to be cautious about that. Of course, you're poisoning you know, a, a mouse. They're going to go ahead and, and pass away someplace in your home. It's not likely they're going to go out of the house. Okay, so I usually recommend mouse magic early to repel them out of the house. If you continue to have a problem, then you need to go to something else or call an exterminator or use traps. Traps are a great way to not use any poison. Okay, so I usually go mouse magic, then traps, then go to the next step. Okay, so take your your approach to mice in a different way, and you won't probably need to get to that point. Now, mice can be a major problem. They can hold the host, you know, for, you know, Lyme disease. You can have a whole host of problems. So it's a serious issue for some folks. I have a house that was built in the 1800s. There's holes everywhere. Mice are always a problem. There's nothing you can do that. So depending on your situation, you may have to use a little bit of everything. What I always tell people about if you have mice that are dying is be vigilant about checking your home. Okay? So if you notice your baits are being eaten and you have cats and dogs, be vigilant about walking around your basement looking for dead mice. Um... If you smell a a dead mouse, which all of us know what that smell smells like, you really need to investigate and figure out where it is, okay? Discard that. Get rid of it. Now, most times when you get to the bait situation, the mice are not going to eat it and then leave your home environment. They're going to go to die someplace in the home. More often than not, these baits make them thirsty. So if you want to have a place where the likelihood the mice are going to go to, put out a dish of water. And the mice will go to that in your basement. Once they're poisoned, they're going to go to find water. A lot of times you find them in a wet puddle. You'll find them in the toilet. You'll find them in places where there are water because what those baits do is they dehydrate the system and they starve for water. 
Okay. So, Jim, I hope that helps. There's always, when using some sort of poison, a situation where you may cross-contaminate. So always be vigilant about that. Always read the label. Always use the safest products to start and then work down the chain. Okay? If you have a really bad problem, call an exterminator. That's what they do for a living. They can do it the best. They know how to really react to some of these problems. Okay? I hope that helps, Jim. You know, Mouse Magic Completely Safe Peppermint Oil. Great way to just repel. Doesn't work in all situations. Okay? So, let's get back to fall. Okay? Fall is the best time to plant. And here we are the 11th of October. Things are going dormant. Why should I plant in the fall? So here's a great question. Fall planting. Why is it the best time to plant trees, shrubs, perennials, and roses? I always am leery of planting after mid-September. Tell me the reason why I should change the way I think and what I should do to get more comfortable with this. Okay, this is this is a great question. It comes up time and time again. You know, we'll have people that will call on the phone or come into the garden center. Oh, geez, it's getting kind of late. Now, here are the things about fall planting, okay? I always say we can go up until about November 1st. After November 1st, we're starting to get pretty cold. You need to look at it in the late season as my plants are not growing. Think about that. Everything in your yard right now is in shutdown mode, okay? It is dropping leaves. It's sending energy back to the root system, doing all of that. Now, a plant in a container may or may not be doing that yet, okay? So you might have one plant on the bench that is cut back, basically all the energy is back into the root system. Then you may have another one that's fully nice and big and it's flowering, what should I choose? Either is fine. All you're buying at this point in the season is a root system for the plant. So don't get so caught up on, ah, oh, geez, the leaves don't quite look as good, or this. You know what? They're going dormant too. They're sending all of their energy back into the root system. And why is fall a good time to plant? The number one reason fall is a good time to plant is the ground is cold, is warmer Let me say that again. The ground is warmer than the air most days. What does that do? It tells the plant, I need to root. Okay? Warm root temperatures compared to air temperatures, they're not going to put time, energy, and effort into leafing out and growing. They're going to put all their energy back into the root system and explode root development to overwinter. Now, the later we go, the less root development you get. Does that mean you can't plant? No. That doesn't mean you can't plant. The difference is a well-established plant in a container and or in the garden center will have enough stored up energy to root out in the spring when the temperatures are cool again, and it will root and come up with beautiful top growth. So think of it in terms of I'm buying a plant for its shape and its root system in the fall. Why is it also a great time? Now, here's a conflict for me. 
I like fall because most landscapes are all swayed towards spring plants. Let me say that again. Most landscapes are all swayed towards spring plants, meaning you're shopping in the spring and you're buying plants that look lovely. What do we get in the fall? We get fall plants. We get plants that come on in the summer that look great in the summer. So you can diversify the look of your landscape also. So fall overall is my favorite time to plant. It's also the best establishment time of of year. So again, up until November 1st, you know, the, the later we go, the more you need to protect. But overall, fall is the best time to plant. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB. The main gardening season can often feel like a race to the finish line, so give yourself a head start by doing a little planning this winter. Visit EsterbrooksOnline.com and browse thousands of plant photos, descriptions, and care requirements in the Esterbrooks Online Plant Catalog. It's the ultimate resource as you create your garden to-do list. Plus, don't forget that Estabrooks is now taking plant pre-orders. Contact their garden pros to ensure you'll have the plants you need this spring. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Are you an organic gardener? Finally, there's a fast-working and effective all-organic insect control available from Bonide. Bonide's Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew is the answer to all your garden insect problems. Captain Jack's works two ways, on contact and when the insect feeds. This will ensure that your insect problems are over. Captain Jack's controls all types of insects, including caterpillars, beetles, spider mites, boars, and more. Use it on vegetables, flowers, berries, trees, shrubs, and fruit. Captain Jack's all-organic insect control is available in easy-to-use dust, liquid concentrate, ready-to-use and ready-to-spray containers with built-in spray applicator. Pick up some bonite Captain Jack's dead bug brew today at your local independent garden centers of Maine. Visit maineigc.com or bonide.com. Arr. News, sports, and weather are all just a tap away on your smartphone. Now, the gardening expertise of Estabrooks is too. With the Estabrooks mobile app for your Apple or Android device, you can earn rewards with each visit, browse thousands of plant photos and descriptions, and get answers to your gardening questions all in one place. Plus, don't miss out on exclusive in-app deals you won't find anywhere else. Visit your mobile marketplace to download the app today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're talking fall planting. And I have another question from Jim here from Cape Elizabeth. Although fall is a great time to plant, I have often heard that evergreens are best planted in the spring. So if an evergreen is to be planted in an exposed site or near a seashore, at what point would you recommend waiting until spring? Does this vary much depending on species? Thanks. So that's a great question. Because there are different situations in which we stop planting earlier. Okay? Every yard is not the same. Every conditions are not the same. 
So if you live directly on the water, wind exposed, in the middle of a big field, certain plants are better established earlier. So evergreens, Jim, you're right. We want to be cautious. So what do we do to make sure and ensure that we're successful in your conditions? You're exposed. You're on the water. What is our time frame? I usually say sometime mid-September, 1st of October. Okay? Though, I also kind of have some variables in there. It's not always cut and dry in the planting world. So, if you're using a bigger plant, say 6 to 7, 8 to 10, something like that, that you're putting in the ground mid, mid-September, gives us enough time to really root, get established, stake the plant off, build some root system for stability. If we're putting in smaller plants, 2-gallon, 3-gallon, 10-gallon plants, 3 to 4 feet and under, we can protect those a little bit easier. We can put burlap on stakes to protect from the wind. We can spray them down with wilt-proof. We can do a lot of things to kind of extend our season. Though, we don't really like to look at those things in the winter. You've got this beautiful view, and you don't really want to do that. My question is, how accessible is water to the site? That's one variable that if it's a spring planting and you can't get water to it easily and you're still windswept, maybe fall planting is actually better, okay? Because you have less time to water, and you may be able to actually be in a better situation. So, with that said, there's a lot of variables. Contact your local garden center, talk to us about your situation, and we'll give you the best advice for the type of plant. You know, if you're doing fir trees or hemlock late, maybe not a great idea. If it's Norway or white spruce, probably fine. You know, certain plants like red pine, Austrian pine, only can be dug in the spring. So those are spring plants. So depending on the plant that you choose also will dictate what you're going to go ahead and do. So, Jim, I hope that helps. You know, certainly don't hesitate to submit questions to estbrooksonline.com backslash radio. We get a bunch of them every single week, folks. And here's another one. It's time for me to prep my veggie garden for spring. I think I had blight on my tomatoes this year, but I'm not exactly sure. What do I do? How do I prepare my garden for next year? And should I rototill in those tomato plants or should I pull them out and discard them? You know, we've gone over this question a couple times, but it keeps kind of com- coming up, so I want to keep kind of talking a little bit about this. So let's go over vegetable prep at this point anyways. doesn't matter if you have an established garden or a new garden at this point. So you're either tilling or, or turning over the garden at this point. So what does that mean? If you till... You're using a rototiller or some sort of piece of machinery. If you turn over, you usually are manually forking the the uh, soil and turning it over. Okay, I'm not a huge proponent of taking all that organic matter and tilling it into the soil that's left over at this point in the season. I like to clean that stuff up. You know, we're doing leaf cleanup. You know, if you've got vines from 
you know, uh, cucumbers and squash and pumpkins left. You know, I've got some carrots and some beets that are still in my garden. I'm going to harvest those pretty quickly here. And then I'm just going to clean everything up, okay? Uh, you know, I've got some cover cropped areas that I, I cleaned up earlier and am able to kind of get some more organic matter that way. At this point, it's too late to put cover crop down, uh, you know, seeding a, a crop over the top of the garden. So the first thing I would do is I would clean up all the vegetation and get rid of it, okay, either to a transfer station, maybe putting it in the compost pile. It's up to you, okay? Then what I I would do is get the the soil turned, get it nice and cleaned up, re-edged, make the bed look as clean as possible, kill off those weeds, you know, and really be in a situation where you're ready. At that point, my suggestion is, do a soil test. Take a soil test, send it off to the state. We have them right at the garden center. You can pick up the free kit. I think it costs like 10 or $12. Good information going into next spring. You'll have that report. Easy to kind of pick up and do those things right from the beginning of spring and just glide right into you know the next season. With tomatoes, I want you to remember where you planted them this year, and we want to rotate the location. I've been talking a lot about tomatoes and how I feel that blight has been a, an, an issue, but more often than not, blight is not the problem that we're seeing in people's gardens now. We're seeing a lot of other rusts and black spots and you know all kinds of other fungal problems. So I am recommending you do a spray program on your tomatoes right from the get-go, starting the first week you plant them. Okay, using Serenade or copper sulfate, some organic products, get ahead of the problem, consistently spray them, and then if we have a, a, a problem that goes further beyond that, we can kick it up to a fungonil or something else. But I think if we start off from the beginning and do very regular you know, spray program with the organics, you're knocking out 90% of your problems. Okay. Now, will those spray programs keep blight away? No, but it will keep all the other things that are at bay. Okay. And so what you're going to end up doing is really, really, really having nice, healthy plants. Change your cultural practices on how you water. Make sure to water at the base, not with a sprinkler. You know, making sure to give them ample feed when they need it. You know, treating them as nicely as possible. But more often than not, Folks coming into the garden center now, we're finding it's not blight that's a problem. It's something else. It's some other fungal problem. But by the time you see it and bring the sample in and all of that, it's almost too late. So become more proactive with those tomatoes, and I think you're going to have a much better success. I don't like adding pathogens into our soil. So clean out any of those problem plants. Get rid of them. You're just starting with a clean slate. I hope that helps. That's a, that's a tough question. It's one that we always time and time and time have problems in the vegetable garden on tomatoes. So we'll talk more about that later. Here's another question. Every year I have a dieback on my ITEA. Sweet Spire also it's called. Is there anything I can do to keep this from happening this winter? It's a great question because we don't sell a lot of ITEA. It's a, it's a more southern plant. Um, 
great, beautiful fall foliage on this plant right now. Reddish, orange, beautiful white flower in the summer months, though it does tend to die back in the winter here in Maine. So here's a couple things about Itea that I found over the year. I planted some, oh, probably six or eight years ago at a client's house. And they were in a drier location. What I didn't know six or eight years ago is Itea is a wet-loving plant. And what I found over the years is if it's in a moist location, it tends to winter much better. So what does that tell me? Dry soil, dry plant going into winter, die back. Okay? Seems really simple, right? But think about it. This plant is a southern plant. What do southern plants typically do? They grow very late into the fall. They are bred to grow and grow and grow in that heat and humidity, and they don't have those harsh temperatures we have. So they put on this extra amount of growth in September. And what happens is they get whacked in October and November. They haven't shut down completely. They still have ample moisture in their stems. But when we get to those real heavy freezing temperatures, because they're not in wet soil, they tend to actually dry out on the tips and die back. Now, I've seen Itia that dies right back to the ground and grows right back to three to four feet the next year. So it will rebound out of the ground. That's the one nice thing about it. It needs extra fertilizer in our, you know, in our, in our microcosm here we call Maine because we have such a short season for growing. So I think the biggest thing, and I don't know what location you have this and whether or not it's in a dry soil, but that's one of the major things. The other thing with Itea is wind, winter wind. So protecting it with that burlap on stakes like we've talked about in the past will make a major, major, major difference. And also making sure by August 1st you're done fertilizing. We want the plant to slow down. Enjoy that beautiful fall color and enjoy those wonderful, spicy, fragrant flowers in the summer. Great plant. Can have some problems with dieback. Hit it with an extra fertilizer application early in the spring, and you'll find Itea will just bound back. So my question is, how much work do you want to do? If it really is getting damaged, some of these protection things, watering later into the fall may help immensely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB. Was your garden all it could be this season? The gardening season may be winding down, but that doesn't mean you can't start looking forward to next year with a visit to Estabrooks. With cooler temperatures and all trees, shrubs, and perennials now on sale for 40 to 50% off, it's the perfect time to invigorate your home. Best of all, you'll be enjoying your garden next spring while everyone else is planting theirs. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. News, sports, and weather are all just a tap away on your smartphone. Now, the gardening expertise of Estabrooks is too. With the Estabrooks mobile app for your Apple or Android device, you can earn rewards with each visit, browse thousands of plant photos and descriptions, and get answers to your gardening questions all in one place. 
Plus, don't miss out on exclusive in-app deals you won't find anywhere else. Visit your mobile marketplace to download the app today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Earthlife Nutrimulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit caselaorganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. You know, if I could just find one product that would control my insect problems on my house plants, around the outside of my house, on my lawn, in my flower beds, and my vegetable garden. Hmm. Ma'am, Bonide has the answer. What? Bonide's 8 insect control is effective against more than 100 insects that destroy trees, shrubs, lawns, flowers, vegetables, and fruit. Use 8 to eliminate ticks, fleas, ants, and other home-invading pests. It can even be used indoors on houseplants. Wow. 8 kills on contact and repels insects for up to 30 days. 8 is available in dust concentrate and in convenient ready to use and ready to spray formulations with built-in hose and sprayer really find bonide 8 insect control at your local independent garden centers of maine visit maineigc.com or bonide.com thank you ma'am for your time thank you welcome back to the joy of gardening by estbrook some tom estbrook and we're answering questions that have been submitted to our website, estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. You can also pick up the podcast there. So here's another great question. You know, there's a lot of really good timely questions that have come in over the last few weeks. Um, how often should I divide perennials? Do perennials have to be divided at all? My garden's about five years old, and I'm noticing that some of my plants are getting overgrown. I'm not sure if I should divide them, if I should just move some of the big clumps someplace else. Give me some parameters as far as what you would do and how you would approach this project. It's a pretty common problem, you know. Perennials are wonderful. You know, they're really small when you buy them. You know, but those darn things grow. You know, I always tell people, give one plant a good three-by-three area on any of your big growers maybe even a little more. On your small growers, move those to the front of the garden, give them a foot to two feet, square feet, you know, in space. But here's a prime example. You've got five years these perennials have been growing. And yes, probably you need some division, but not all perennials like to be divided. Not all perennials like to be moved. So what I would do is back up and ask you a couple questions. Number one, Put a list together of what you have. Come into the garden center and talk to us, okay? There's nothing better than coming to the garden center and actually asking questions specific to each individual plant because they are so all, all so different. Maybe you have peonies. Peonies do not like to be divided. They don't like to be moved. So that one we would leave alone. But maybe you have iris and daylilies and sedums and, you know, Russian sage all of those can be moved, divided. So we really need to know what you have before we can tell you exactly what to do. Now, five years, yes. The rule of thumb is about every three to four years. You may need to divide some of these plants. Here are some of the signs of what make you know you should be dividing plants. Your clumps are quite large. 
pretty easy one to identify. Number two, within those large clumps, part of the center of the plant is dying. So you've got this great big clump, but the center of the plant has a big brown spot in the center of it, meaning the plant has kind of almost started to divide itself, okay? Iris, it's very common to see that in iris, okay? So you look at that. Oh, okay, that does make sense. I I am seeing that. Number three, you need more room in the garden. So that's either lift some clumps and move them, divide some clumps out, make more room regardless. You just don't have enough space to sustain everything you have in there. So those are the three major things I usually say. Now, the fourth thing that's most important to me is know which things do not like to move and do not want to be divided. Always know that up front because there's nothing worse than a beautiful peony that doesn't want to be moved. It can stay there for 25 years and look beautiful, but it just does not want to be moved. You can move them. It just will set them back. So, I hope that answers your questions. Come on into the garden center or any garden center with your list. We can talk to you about when and what to divide and how to to make informed choices. Okay? So, here we are. We're finishing up another week. Where are they going? We're approaching November. So, the last thing I wanted to talk about was bulbs. Because we've kind of been talking about them along the way. I hope you've done most of your purchasing by now because bulbs are starting to get low in inventory, okay? We don't have a huge amount of bulbs left. We've still got a decent selection, but most of the real funky stuff is gone. So if you wanted something really different, there's a few things there. But now's the time that you want to start thinking about planting bulbs, okay? Here we are mid-October. We're getting cooler at night. The day temps are getting down there in the 50s and 60s and still take advantage of those days that are beautiful to do this type of work. So I, at this point, give you the okay and not that I am the almighty authority when it comes to this stuff. I'm just saying all your deep planted bulbs, your daffodils, your your, um, tulips, your allium, all those things that you're putting down six inches or so, the temperatures are cool enough down there to get good root development. Hold off on some of the things that are shallow planted. Your grape hyacinths, your crocus, all those things are going to be really shallow because it's much warmer there right at the surface. Okay, so we'll still wait another week or two on that. Okay, watch the weather. But you can start... And I always tell people, don't plant all your bulbs in one day. Don't kill yourself. This is called for the joy of gardening, not for the pain of Advil. You know what I mean? It, and, and bulbs are just brutal when you plant a lot of them. Keep them in clumps. If you buy them by packages, that's a clump. Like I've told you a few times, I hate soldiers in a row. But I understand there are places for it. But take that package, dump it out from about three feet high where they land, plant them. Now, if one goes way over, you know, to the south or north, pull it back in a little bit closer. But be more of a random pattern like nature would be. It's going to look much more attractive 
If you have a more formal garden, you have a more formal situation, so make your choices appropriately. But I love spring bulbs. They're the first sign that Mother Nature is coming alive in the spring. And every year, we have those wonderful customers that come in and say, I am here to plant my tulips. And you go, you should have planted them last fall. So with that said, get out there, enjoy your garden, and get ready for that next season that's coming. You know, we're working to next season now. Everything we're planting now, we're working for next year. Are we saving money on all those things? Absolutely. 40% off. Last weekend, Kennebunk is open through Monday at 5 o'clock. And then we're done for another year. Thanks again for a great, great season down there. You know, every single year that store seems to grow. We get more customers to visit Yarmouth also. A little sad for this year, you know. Scarborough's gone. I know those wonderful customers in the Scarborough market are begging us to come back, and and we'll see what happens. But right now, next spring, just going to be Kennebunk and Yarmouth. So we hope you see you there. Uh, But get out there. Enjoy your garden and enjoy fall. We still are holding on to that foliage. The apple orchards are starting to think about shutting down. So if you haven't got your apples, think about doing it soon. I've been eating a ton of apples. Get out there, enjoy your garden, and have a great weekend. 